excited to be here on this Labor Day weekend. I get those confused. Labor Day, I was telling Debbie, Labor Day, you don't wear white after Labor Day. That's all I know. <laughs> That's the extent of it. Somebody asked me, what's Labor Day for? I'm like, I don't know, to mark when and when we can't wear white pants. I don't even own white pants, so I'm not terribly concerned. Uh, we're going to be uh, in Acts this morning, uh, but before we go there, we're going to turn to Colossians chapter 1. Uh, so if you have a Bible, you can turn there, phone app, feel free to do it that way. And while we're looking that up, uh, two quick announcements. One, if you are feeling strong this afternoon, uh, I need a couple people, guys, girls, I don't really care who, uh, to help me move a desk after service. And two, and more importantly than that, uh, football started yesterday. It's college yesterday. Yeah. Oh, so excited. Uh, both my teams won. I couldn't be happier. It was a beautiful day. I had a nap. It was marvelous. Next Sunday, NFL kicks off. My teams probably won't do as well, but that's okay. Uh, so with that, we're going to, if you have a jersey, I want to invite everybody, like, support your team. If you've got a jersey, whether it be college, whether it be uh, NFL, that's the other one. Uh, <laughs> I knew there's something that they go on to after college. They get jobs. Uh, if you've got a T-shirt, wear that. Hat, wear that. It doesn't really matter. Uh, just, you know, something fun for us to do, even if it's the Eagles. Uh, but it'd be fun, it's just something uh, just different to do and celebrate. Um, okay, so Colossians chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Uh, it says, The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, God wanted to make known among the Gentiles, you and me, the glorious wealth of this mystery. This is the mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's beautiful. The you here is an important word because it's not just you. It can be even translated that way. So it can be like Christ in Shane, the hope of glory, right? Christ in Michael, the hope of glory. It can be that, but it's actually more specifically a corporate you. It's a y'all. It's an all y'all. That's right. Paul was from South Tarsus, right? It, it's the, gen, the, the mystery is this. Christ in y'all, the hope of glory. Like when we get together in this moment, Christ in us, the hope of glory. What we bring to the world outside, Christ in us, the hope of glory. That's what we take with us everywhere that we go. And so this morning we're talking about the book of Acts and we're in, in our series, The Mission of God. So we started with creation and the fall. And then we moved to the call of Abraham and then the correction God had for his people. And, and then last week, Pastor Brad helped us understand that Christianity doesn't work without Jesus, that, that it's only in Christ that we have everything that we need, and all the fullness of God dwells in Jesus. If you haven't listened to it, I highly suggest you go back and listen to it, because it was a wonderful message for us. Where we're jumping into this week in the book of Acts and the church and the spirit coming, to us, especially if you've been in church for a long time, is, is old news. It's an old hat. Like, yeah, we get it. We're the church. We're all different. We're combined. But what was happening when God did this, this flipped the religious world on its head. All of a sudden, different people from different walks of life were brought together for a new purpose. And this is something that God had been planning since the very beginning. How do we know that? He tells us the, his, the mystery hidden for ages and generations now revealed. This thing that God knew he was going to do. When he said, let there be light, he had in his mind that one day he would create the church. When Adam was created, he knew Adam would sin. But he still had in his mind that there would be a day where he would send his Holy Spirit to indwell people. This is beautiful, 
powerful, amazing news. Jesus came to bring us life, and that's what the incarnation is, right? He came, he brings us life, and not only that, but the life that he brings us, the life which Christ came to bring us is the life of God's kingdom. This is, this is amazing. See, God is calling us to the mission, and he's empowering us to accomplish that mission. He's not just saying, I want you to go do this thing. He's saying, I want you to go do it, and I'm going to be the force, the power that exists inside of you to accomplish the thing I'm calling you to. This is amazing. Everywhere Jesus went, he's confidently said, the kingdom of God is at hand. And because we have the spirit inside of us, everywhere we go, we bring the kingdom of God with us. So it starts first, though, with the Holy Spirit being given on the day of Pentecost. So as we were just singing, that's where it starts. And so we have uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. I don't have it on the screen, but I'm going to read it because uh, I'm mostly going to spend time here in verse 4 for a minute. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together and in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire separated and rested on each one of them. Then they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Like, I don't know about you, but like when I first started reading this, like, I got saved, I come to Christ, I start reading the Bible, and I'm like, this book's amazing. Like, like, listen, when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a violent rushing wind came from heaven. These guys would be like, oh, this is amazing. They're just praying. They're, this is what we were just doing. They were singing songs and praying, and all of a sudden, this sound from heaven, like a rushing wind comes. It's going to catch them off guard. Then... Flames of tongues of fire rest on their head. Then they're filled with the Holy Spirit and begin to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enables them. This is unprecedented. The closest you're going to get to this is if you go back into the Old, text, uh, Old Testament in Exodus, you're going to see that similar types of things were happening. But it wasn't happening as a, as a uh, I guess you'd say a steady thing. It, was, it, was, uh, it wasn't static. It was more dynamic. Like the Spirit would come and he would empower somebody to do something, and then the Spirit would pull off, and then they would go about their business. But that's not what's happening anymore. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit is resting on people, and he was promised by Jesus to dwell with them. This is amazing. And then he's giving them gifts. The Holy Spirit gives gifts and enables people to do things. Why? Because he's a member of the Trinity, the Godhead. God himself is making his dwelling within us. 1 Corinthians uh, 12, 11 tells us that the Holy Spirit does as he pleases. One and the same Spirit is active in all these, distributing to each person as he wills. Like we look around and we might see somebody with a different gift than we have, and we could say, oh, I want that one. But it's not ours to choose. It's ours to accept the gift that he gives us and then work that out for the way he's purposed us. He chooses because he has a will. Acts 13, 2. As they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. The Holy Spirit knew who he wanted to send out on that mission field. One of them happened to be a former murderer. If you go back to the first verse uh, in Acts uh, 13, you're going to see that the group of people who were sitting around where it says as they were worshiping the Lord and fasting was a very mixed group of people. Like it's, it's Jesus took, God takes 
different people from different walks of life, puts them in the same room and says, now that you're seeking me together, now that you're actually representing what I want humanity to look like, I'll choose who I want. The Holy Spirit points to Jesus. John 16, 14, he says, he, the Spirit, will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit's always going to be pointing back to Jesus. Like, er, often in the early church, like, and I don't mean the early church like in the book of Acts, like right after that, the founding, uh, the early church fathers, and then even today we see it sometimes where the Holy Spirit seems to be doing a lot that has nothing to do with Jesus. The Holy Spirit points back to Jesus. The Holy Spirit is here to, to equip us, to fill us, to, to give us gifts, and so that we look back and go, Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit is. And he comes alongside of us. John 14, 16 through 17, Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. This another, this word here, another, means one of the same type. Right? So it's, it's not lesser than Jesus, and the Holy Spirit's not greater than Jesus. He's another of the same type, a member of the Godhead. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you know him because he remains with you and will be in you. As a believer, as a follower of Christ, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. He's not your conscience. He is God himself speaking to you. Now, we can do things like we can quench the spirit. We can stop listening. We can put him on the back burner and we can say, "Ah, I really just don't want to deal with that right now. Maybe if you bring that up in in a month or two, Holy Spirit, we can deal with it then. But he's in you reminding you of the things Jesus said. And on a side note, I don't have a slide for this, but he can only remind you of what Jesus said if you already know what Jesus said. So if you're not spending time in this book, he can't remind you of something you don't know. Okay, So if you're not taking time to, to seek God, to understand who he is, to, to, to devote yourself to spending time in prayer with him, then the Holy Spirit has nothing to remind you of. But now the Holy Spirit's working in this new thing, the church, Gentiles and Christians, uh, Gentiles and Jews coming together to form this new thing called the way, Christianity, followers of Christ. And the Holy Spirit is empowering us and indwelling us. But first, what we have is is Peter's sermon. Now, if you've read through the Bible a little bit, you're going to hear like, oh, Peter's got a sermon. And instantly your mind might go like, oh, boy. Peter, not the sharpest tool in the shed. One thing Peter doesn't have is tact. That works out really well for him. Peter gets up, now filled by the Spirit. The the, the disciples, the the 12 plus some others, are fasting and worshiping and praising the Lord and seeking God, and the Holy Spirit falls. They get filled with the Holy Spirit. They start speaking in tongues, and they're like, in a, in a balcony area. People can see what's going on and they can hear up there. And the people outside are like, listen to those guys up there. It's nine o'clock in the morning and they're already trashed. Those guys are up there drinking. That's what the Bible says. And Peter's response is, we are not drinking. It is nine o'clock in the morning. They're fishermen. So Peter's like, that's not what's going on here. Here's what's going on here. As God promised, just like Julia read, as God promised in the days, the, the last days through the prophet Joel, God is saying, I will pour out my spirit on all my people. Then your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. 
And he goes on and he starts revealing things from the scripture to these people, saying it's not about drinking and all that stuff. What we are, what we are is filled with the spirit because this is what God promised to do. And he starts laying out that God had promised he was going to do this a long time ago. And now God is fulfilling his promise. And then he moves on and he starts talking about how you people murdered the Messiah. You killed him. These are the people who were around 40 days earlier when Jesus was crucified. Some of these people were in the crowd yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And Peter has no problem pointing that out and saying, you killed the Messiah. The one God promised and said he would send. The one we've been waiting since the very beginning for. The one who was promised in the proto-evangelium that he would come and stomp on the head of the servant. The serpent, you killed him. But God raised him from the dead. Because, because we do that. We do things that we think are ruining God's plans, either on purpose or on accident, but you are not big enough to ruin God's plans. These people were participating in it without even realizing it. And then he says, now Jesus has been raised from the dead, and he is Lord and Messiah of all. And the people's response to this is, what do we do? I mean, think about that. Like, think about whatever your worst sin is. The, th the thing you want hidden. The thing, like, because you know there's no way. Like, you can't yell, crucify him, crucify him. And a couple weeks later, not be like, ah, just weighing on me. Like, some of these people sitting at home with their, with their wives and sitting around drinking coffee or tea, whatever they drink in Israel. I don't know. I drink coffee, obviously. Uh, <laughs> lots of coffee. They're sitting around, right? Like, you gotta, you got to imagine that some of these guys are sitting around the table in the morning, or they're sitting around with their friends, and they're like, I just, this didn't weigh on me. Let me ask you, Bob. Do you think we were wrong when we were yelling for them to crucify that guy? I mean, what did he really do? It weighs on him because our sin weighs on us. We, we try to get it aside. We try to pretend it's not there, but it weighs on us, and it sits there. And now these guys are in an in a unexpected church service, and, and the preacher yells out, you, you were, you were, do you have little ones in here this morning? I can't even tell. Not too bad. Okay. Uh, because they, this, they're calling out sin. So like you were, you were sleeping around last night. You, you were looking at stuff on, you were looking at porn on your computer last night. You, you got drunk last night. You, you were planning on doing things last night that you know you shouldn't have been doing. And, and he's calling these things out. And the response from the people is, what do we do? Because obviously, God knows what I've done. He's calling out my sin. He's, he's pointing to the thing that I regret so much. What do I do? Peter tells them. Peter replied, repent. And be baptized, each one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. You murdered Jesus, and all you've got to do is repent and be baptized, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. That's it. Because that's who he is. That's who God is. That's why we're going through this journey. We're going through the mission of God. We're starting at the beginning and working our way through. Next week, we're going to be in Revelation. Should be fun.
my wife's got the whole collection of the Left Behind series. I mean, maybe we'll see what happens. <laughs> maybe we'll get some uh, Kirk Cameron up on the screen. Uh, but we're going through this journey for that reason, so that we can look at it and see that no matter how much we mess up, no matter how bad we break things, no matter what's done to us, God is bigger than all of that. And all he says you have to do, repent and be baptized, each one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. If you don't know Jesus, this sounds like nonsense. But if you know him, then you have a hard time explaining what it's like to just all of a sudden come up out of that water with your sins forgiven. Just white. Like I've seen addicts go into the water and come out addiction free. I've seen it. I've seen people who are like, yes, I love Jesus. I, I, I want to follow Jesus with all my heart. No, I've never been baptized. I accepted him, you know, a couple months ago, and I'm still struggling with all these things. And they go, and they get baptized, and they come out of that water, and something happens because it's not just a, it's not just a bucket of water. That's not what it is. It's us remembering that we're going and being buried with Christ in his death and raised to newness of life when we come out of that water. And what happens? We get the Holy Spirit. What better thing could we possibly have than God inside of us? So here's what happens. Uh, they, they, Peter preaches this message. 3,000 people get saved. I mean, man, we'd have to kick off the shift campaign like so fast. <laughs> we, we'd be planting churches everywhere. I'm like, guess what? Shane, I got a new job for you. <laughs> right? Like, he's, he's discipling out these kids. He's like, I'm sorry, you guys are church at school. I don't know what to tell you. Right? Because all of a sudden, like 3,000 people are coming to Christ, and that's just the men. They got husbands, uh, they got wives, they don't have husbands. <laughs> Not that church. <laughs> they got wives, they've got kids, like all these people are coming to Christ. All these things are changing. Things are going crazy and all over the place. It's amazing. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves, they, all the people who just got saved, all the people who are now filled with the Holy Spirit, all the people who are trying to figure out how do we do this thing that God had hidden for ages, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Is everything that we need right there. And we don't need to reproduce it. We were up in Maine for uh, our son's wedding last week, and one of the days we went to uh, Portland Headlight, which is pretty, and then we went to Old Orchard Beach, which was good food. And then we went to Waterboro, where we used to live. If you're looking for Waterboro on a map, you're not going to find it. There's a stop sign <laughs> and a grocery store um, and a feed and seed. Okay, so Waterboro, you're not going to find it. But we went to Waterboro, right? And so we went to uh, the, the elementary school where Grace started kindergarten. And we took a picture of her out in front of the sign, and we took a picture of that. And then we went to the old street where we lived on. Favorite time in our lives, like all the kids were little. We saw God working miracles. We saw all sorts of stuff. So you go and you take pictures and you relive that moment. But we don't recreate it. It's not where we are anymore. Instead, we're here. We're, we're in Amarillo, not in, in Jerusalem. We're going to do things a little bit different, and the Holy Spirit will do things a little bit different because he knows what's needed at Journey Church. He knows what's needed in Amarillo. He knows what's needed in whatever community or area you live in. But these things, these foundational things, do remain the same. The apostles' teaching. This is the preaching and the teaching of those who walked with Jesus, now empowered by the Holy Spirit. 
These people were changed because they walked with Jesus and are now filled with the Holy Spirit. They had fellowship. This is koinonia, partaking with one another. They desired and sought out ways to really do life with each other. And that's why we're doing potlucks this week. If you've seen it on, on, online, if you haven't, there's sign-ups out there. We've got like seven, I think, homes who are opening themselves up. You can sign up. You bring a dish. You come at that time. You hang out. Fellowship. Just doing life with one another. The Bible tells us to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. There's only one way you can do that, and that's to actually spend time with other believers. That's it. If you want people to weep with you when you're weeping, you have to weep with someone as well. If you want someone to rejoice with you while you're rejoicing, you have to rejoice with someone else. You will only get out of community what you put into it. So that's why we're doing this this week. If you can't make it this week, even though we got days all over the place and all over the city, if you can't make it, that's fine. We'll do them again in the future. But I highly recommend, sign up. What's, what's worse that's going to happen? You're going to get some food? <laughs> Breaking of bread. This is, this is both communion and sharing meals. And we're going to do communion here in just a little bit. right? We're going to take some time to, to break bread. We're going to pretend it's bread. We're going to break bread together because communion, when we do it together, what we're remembering is right is like as I'm taking communion and I'm sitting next to my wife, Julie, but also other Julie, uh, I'm sitting next to Julie Meyer and I'm thinking, Jesus broke his body for Julie. Je- Jesus broke his body for Shane. He, he shed his blood. Right? He did that not just for me, but for the people around me as well. And it's hard for us really to think sometimes the breaking of bread and fellowship, these things are so closely intertwined that I think it's hard for us in our modern world to really understand it because we, we do hang out, like we do small groups and we do these things, and that's starting to get us into that. Small groups kicking off next Sunday. It's going to be awesome. I highly recommend you sign up for a group for that too because this is where we really start to do life together. And then prayer. A good commentary I read said, In Acts, prayer indicates dependence on God, hope in the future, and a desire for the advancement of God's work. That's what prayer is. It's, it's seeking God and seeking his ways and trusting that he is the only one to fulfill it. Everything we need to grow as people and as the church is found in these three things. Sound doctrine. This is the apostles' teaching. 2 Timothy uh, 1.13 says, Hold on to the pattern of sound teaching which you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Sound doctrine is important. But so are interpersonal relationships, fellowship and the breaking of bread. Let us not neglect, uh, let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. That's what we're doing together. We're gathering together. Potlucks, you gather together. I would say too, like, I don't, I don't know if you know this. We have a huge online community. So, so for you guys watching online, don't think that you're alone either. And if, if you can't come to, to, to fellowship and to, to join us on a Sunday morning because 
you can't leave the house, you've got medical issues, whatever it's like that, th- then don't be alone. Let us know so that one of us can come visit you and spend time with you and let you know that you have love and you have fellowship and you have friendship here as well. But if you don't come to church because you say, I like Jesus, but I don't like the church, then that's a you problem. Because let me tell you why. Because if you were to tell me, oh, I, Mike, I like that guy. I like Mike. I just don't like his bride. Oh, we're going to have words. You cannot tell me you like me. You can't tell me you love me but hate my family. No. That's nonsense. To say I love Jesus but I hate his church, his bride, yes, they're imperfect. We all are. Yes, they're messy, of course. But that's what we're doing together. It's saying I'm going to bring my mess to the pile and you bring your mess to the pile and and he's going to bring his mess to the pile and all together God's going to make something out of that mess. But so now what we have is that we have exactly what the early church had. Romans 8.11 says that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is alive in us. And that means the same spirit that filled the early church is here in this room as well. The same spirit. So when we read things in the book of Acts, we can go, okay, let me get this straight, Jesus. You, You saved these people? You, you healed these people, you delivered these people, and that's still who you are today? That's crazy. We're supposed to see what he did and have the Holy Spirit remind us of the, of the words that we read and then trust that he is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. That what he did, he can do. That, that who he was, he is. And so when we're praying for people, when we're seeking the things of God, when we're desiring the things of God, when we're saying, when we're praying because we know that one of our brothers and sisters is is in pain or is, is, is hurting, and we're praying for them, we're praying to the same God that we read that did things then. The early church was like centripetal force or gravity. Everything it touched, it sucked into God. Because everything it did was about sucking things into God. Like their focus was like, how do we reach our community? And that's why I'm so happy to be a part of this body. Like so many of you joined us as a staff and, and, and others as we started with a fast and said, okay, how do we seek the good of our community? How do we seek God and see what he wants to do in our community? Romans 8.28, uh, sorry, 8.22 tells us that all creation is groaning while it awaits redemption. Mark 16, 15, Jesus says, go preach the gospel to all creation. Sin touched and tainted everything. But the gospel can touch everything too. Our job as the church is to take the gospel to the all creation, to every created thing and preach redemption to it. We preach redemption to the trees. We preach redemption to the animals. We preach redemption to our finances. We preach to our kids. We preach to our own souls. We preach to our spouses. We preach to everything that Christ has risen from the grave. Everything gets the good news. And when we start seeing a holistic gospel like that, that everything has the power to be redeemed by Christ, we really start to see things change around us. So we're going to take communion. Uh, The band can come up. Because communion in the early church and all of this ties just perfectly into communion. It ties into this thing of of seeking God and saying, okay, Jesus, you, sorry, 
you broke your body for me. You shed your blood. You, you, you died on a cross. You rose again three days later. You did all of this for me. But you also did it for the people around me. That's what it means for us to be the church, the all y'all. So that as, as we're going through anything, we understand that together we're going through all of these things. So I would encourage you, we're going to take communion in just a second here. And then we're going to have a time of response. And then we're going to have a baptism. And you know I'm excited about baptisms because I always wear the shirt. Julie gave me the shirt and said, wear it on baptisms. And I'm like, okay, let's do another one. <laughs> I really like the shirt, and I love seeing people get baptized. Because, again, newness of life. Chains break when we submit to the Holy Spirit. When we acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, that he broke his body for our, our, our that he shed his blood for the remission of our sins chains break and things fall off. So Lord Jesus, we come to you in submission. We come to you and say that on our own, we cannot. Lord, your word says that it's only by your spirit that things are accomplished. We can't save ourselves. We can't keep ourselves. We can't heal anyone else. We couldn't do any of it, and we can't do any of it on our own. What we can do is turn to you and seek you. We can look to your body, knowing that you broke it, and that by your stripes we are healed. And Lord Jesus, this morning I pray that if there is anyone among us who is, is hurting and infirmed, that you heal them in your name, Jesus, because we believe that you are a healer. I believe your words, Jesus, when you say, by my stripes you are healed. I believe that, Jesus. And as we take communion, as we take your bread this morning, let us remember that you have healed us. Receive it. And Jesus, we take the cup that is both the cup that is your blood, but also the covenant, the new covenant that we remember that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Lord Jesus, I acknowledge that on my own, I am a sinner. No matter how hard I try to fight it in my own strength, no matter how much I try to do the right things and set up the right ways to not, on my own, I will only ever be that. But by your blood, I am a child of God. So Jesus, as we receive this, let, us, it, it, let it be a, a remembrance that you saved us because you are good. Receive it. Lord Jesus, as we go into a time of response and get ready for this baptism, Lord, I just pray that you speak to our hearts, whatever it is we need to hear, that if, those, if there are some in the room who need to come forward and, and receive prayer and confess and, and just know that they have forgiveness of sins, that they would repent and receive forgiveness of sins, and in doing so, receive the Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, that you have your way in our lives. You don't need our permission, but you do want us to surrender. And so we surrender to you, Jesus, trusting your goodness and your wisdom.
this gospel truth of old. 